0: This is the VMTV Six Nations Rugby Pod. I'm Dave McIntyre. Round three is on the horizon. And as usual, we've an awful lot to talk about. We're going to be joined later by Virgin Media analyst Matt Williams and Alan Quinton. We'll be looking ahead to Ireland's trip to Rome to take on the Italians. There's also the small matter of Wales, England and the problems surrounding France, Scotland on Sunday. That game is off. And as we record on this Thursday afternoon, a rescheduling date has yet to be confirmed. Don't forget, every game is live in Virgin Media 1. Our coverage is starting at Saturday 1 o'clock Saturday afternoon, so do join us for that. First up, though, the Ireland team for Saturday's game with Italy has been confirmed. Virgin Media Sports rugby correspondent Sinead San joins me now to sift through the details. Seven changes, Sinead, from the side that began the defeat to France. A couple of new caps on the bench. What are your main takeaways from it? Give us the team, first up.
1: Yeah, Dave, as you say, it's uh, it's an all Leinster uh, back line. So we've got uh, Jordan Larmour coming in on the right wing for his first Six Nations start in this championship, which is, uh, I thought he was always kind of pretty unlucky to miss out on those two opening games. And you kind of have to wonder if his performance um, against Munster in that you know game Bill does at the, the final trial in January kind of went against him when he lost a few of those high balls. And um, certainly uh, France and Wales would have targeted him if he was named on that team but it is good to see him back i think we need a bit of his x-factor and a bit of his flair for sure in this irish team of course it all depends on what kind of system he's going to have to play in as well so he's in there uh on the uh on the right wing and of course keith Earls drops to the bench uh, as i said it's an all leinster back line johnny Sexton is back we kind of knew that he was going to come back uh, and Farrell had intimated as much last week Conor murray doesn't make it Andy Farr just said there in the press conference that he still needed another few days to recover from that hamstring injury. So Jameson Gibson Park is in at number nine as well. Uh, so it's an all-new front row as well. Dave Kilcoyne, Ronan Keller and Tyg Furlong makes his first start in the Six Nations. Um, Ian Henderson, James Ryan comes back in as well after his head injury in the game against Wales. Ty Byrne moves to number six and Will Connors also comes into the team. And CJ Standard then makes up that back row. As you said two uncapped players uh, on the bench as well, Ryan Baird and Craig Casey. And you really had to feel for Craig Casey, didn't you, when he didn't come on to make his debut in the game against France. It must have been so frustrating for him to sit on the bench. And Andy Farrell kind of just mentioned that uh, in the press conference, saying uh, that he was disappointed to miss out on making his debut that day. But you know how well he responded going back to Munster, playing their game last weekend. So look, fingers crossed that he will indeed make his debut this weekend.
0: Yeah, and showing exactly what Craig Casey is all about in the manner in which he scored that try for Munster. What aspect of the match day twenty three, Sinead, excites you most?
1: Well, it's going to be interesting to see. I know from speaking to Tig Byrne as well a few weeks ago, his preference is uh to start in the second row, but he's going to start at number six. And I think that is going to be a really interesting, it's a really interesting makeup for that back row. I'm really excited as well to see Ty Furlong back in there. I mean, he is such a dynamic player. Ronan Keller as well, making his first Six Nations start. And I suppose we saw how dynamic he was in the loose for Leinster and like scoring all those tries, which was, you know, part of the argument. Many people would have said, put him in that RN team straight away, but it hasn't quite worked out well for him. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, with the help of Paul O'Connell and John Fogarty, how well he's going to do in the lineup, I suppose. His uh, his throwing would have been one part that he would have needed to improve on. So we're going to see that Paul O'Connell influence, hopefully, again with Ronan Kelleher as well. And look, as I said, Jordan Larmer, I am really glad to see him make his um, first Six Nations start um, there on the the right wing. So, as I said, we really do need some of that creativity, um, which has been so lacking in uh, the game against France the last day. You know, he didn't have much minutes in that game against France, so I think he'll be really looking to send out a message against Italy this weekend.
0: Now, you're as close to the Ireland cap week to week, Sinead, as any of us, and you are sort of got your finger on the pulse when it comes to the mood that was in that Ireland cap, particularly this week, earlier in the week, when my cat was up in front of the press, because there's been so much talk about what you've just mentioned, the lack of dynamism, the lack of creativity, too much kicking in our game. Any head coach in Europe would be very happy to work with this back line Stuart Lancaster loves working with this back line at Leinster is there any point to this back line if we're going to keep the ball in the air as often as we have done in the first two rounds
1: yeah very interesting point uh Dave I mean have we ever seen James Lowe kick as much in all his years with Leinster as we have seen him kick with his left boot in Ireland's two opening games in the Six Nations we haven't um, I spoke to James, uh, he's going to, he'll be doing an interview for us for our match day programme on Saturday, and I spoke to him about that, and look, of course, he's going to be diplomatic and say, you do whatever the coaches want him to do, you know, but it he just wasn't good enough at times, and of course, there's a lot of focus on his defending as well, but, you know, certainly interesting comments by Mike Kat, um, there was a lot of debate over whether he was kind of putting the the responsibility, should, we won't go as far as blame on the players, but, I mean only two tries scored i mean i know offloads aren't an indicator of how you know well or free a team is playing but like only six offloads so far in the six nations championship and you know the funny thing is is that when andy Farrell first came in his go-to line was i want the players to be themselves but what does that mean now we kind of know less about what the players and we know how talented they are but we almost know less about the players because can't understand really the game plan that they're playing. It doesn't seem to be getting the best out of the players. As frustrating as it is for us to watch them playing this kind of lateral game and not make, being able to make those breaks, it must be as frustrating for them as well playing.
0: Okay, Sinead. Brilliant of as always. Thanks a million. Yeah. The Irish team news. Matt Williams and Alan Quidlin are standing by. But before we bring in the two lads, let's take a little second to remind ourselves of what happened in round two of the Guinness Six Nations Championship where France and Wales kept their hopes of a Grand Slam very much alive. DuPont loves these situations. Gallabelle and towards Dillon. He's gone away from James Lowe. Fern trying to take him down. He's got Penneau on his shoulder. And it's a tiny finish in the corner
2: we got it in there, you know? Ireland are in a period now of, of two years where we haven't performed anywhere near the expectations. I think the helicopter view is actually not that bad. I think it, it, here and now is what, what I find frustrating uh, for the team. It's, you know, that's another championship gone. Gaultier and Farrell started coaching on the same day. They, they, they were assistant coaches, they lost the quarterfinal. they became head coaches. But look at the progress that France have made.
0: It's, it's close. It's obviously tough to look at the scoreboard and think of the opportunities that were out there, but we won't sugarcoat over um, what we need to improve on.
2: So um, that'll be kind of dusting ourselves off and being honest with each other. And...
3: for there may be a chance for yet, and its killer he's, he's, he's one that got away we had again we had one opportunity and we didn't take it
0: yeah so things nicely poised certainly from a French and Welsh point of view heading into round four into round three rather lads we'll get into all things six nations related in a moment but i did want to begin speaking to the pair of you by just marking the passing of former ireland prof gary Halpin. you both knew him well and matt i saw you this week describing him as the funniest man you ever coached he by all accounts from anyone i've read writing or talking about him he seems to have been quite the character
2: uh we're all, <clears throat> all unique but i've never met anyone like gary he um You know, first first of all, we should say what a great athlete he was. He represented Ireland and hammer throwing and and uh, rugby World Cups and and uh, the championship. But a a great human being. He just had a. It was like a bottle of champagne every day. He he would pop. There would be fizz. There'd be funny. And every situation in life was an opportunity for humour. I just saw a, a text yesterday. He went in to Kilkenny a few weeks ago to buy some tyres and the, the guy that owned the tyre shop said, hi, Gary, and he looked at him and said, how did you recognise me without my cape and mask? You know, he, he, he just was incredibly witty, brought that wit onto the rugby field. He would say the funniest things on a rugby field to his opposition, to the referee. Uh, uh, one day against Toulouse at Donnybrook, he, uh, he was at the front of the line, out in front of the crowd, Playing uh, against Northampton, who are the current European champion, and he screamed at the top of his voice. He said, "Come on, lads, let's get up in this line out." It was the Northampton throw? He said, "Because this bloke cannot throw a ball," <laughs> and the whole crowd just joins in laughing. You know, it's uh, it was such a sad day yesterday. Like I, I got the news off Reggie Corrigan, I, I just truly couldn't believe it. It's So tragic for his family, but we're, and we're sending them all our thoughts and. Prayers and of course COVID, we can't go and 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 mourn him the way we all want to, but it's it's a it's a huge loss for the Irish rugby community.
0: Alan, for rugby fans and people who never met him, which group includes me, my abiding memory is that try against the All Blacks at the World Cup in 1995, and even more so his reaction after scoring the try, where he gave uh, both barrels, gave the the bird to both the. Um, off both hands to the New Zealand pack and I think that just seemed to poke the beast because they gave us an almighty beating after that and Jonah Lomi was leading the charge but you would have met him several times I'd imagine what's what's your memory of him?
3: Many times and it was incredibly sad to hear that news yesterday he was kind of your old school character in in rugby and um, it, it was I've heard many many stories about Gary over the years and I had the pleasure of meeting him and he was just a bundle of joy he was funny he was he was humorous. He was up for a bit of crack and, uh, everybody liked him. He was very, very popular with everybody. And, um, you know, the famous, uh, given the fingers to the all blacks in 95 is, is, uh, he, he, he kind of loves that legacy and that story that's, that's gone with him. Um, they give him a bit of a hammering after that, but, uh, it was a great try and he always talks about, uh, he's, he's, uh, he didn't like Sean Fitzpatrick and, uh, he did, it was just a reaction out of the blue, and uh, they they certainly poked the beast after that. But anyone anyway, you meet in rugby circles, and it's a great thing about the game, is you know we all play, coach, meet over the years, have have kicked the crap out of each other, and uh, you always hear good things about Gary Halpin. He's one of the good guys, and and he's someone who was a real character. You know, he he was a great storyteller. Um, he came to Axel's. Um, we played the the, the the match for Axel a couple of years ago, the the Legends match, and uh, I remember Gary turning up, putting on the gear, and just been a bundle of laughs and a joy for for everyone. He made everyone feel feel part of the whole group and um, a real character. And it's it's incredibly sad um, that it's happened and this has happened to him because um, he was a lovely man, and and certainly it's it's very very tragic.
0: Any of our younger listeners, Matt, who have maybe no recollection of the 1995 world cup or that time in rugby history, they'll see that try and it comes off a pre-planned set piece tap penalty that you just never, ever see in the modern game anymore. You might see the odd tap and go, but it's not with the animation and something that's clearly been worked on on the training ground. Why do we never see that anymore?
2: You know, Dave, it's like back row moves. I think it's ignorance. Um, now the back – Quinny will tell you the back row never pushed on a scrum in the old days, but now the back row are tight, are tight but no-one's playing back row moves to, to uh, get around that. You get a penalty in the 22 and people want to go for the, um, for the try, they want to go for the points. Quite often they're just you know, forwards hitting it up where some form of organisation on a tap play uh, can, can work because it's also not – you're giving the opposition what they don't expect. Uh, and I, I think that there is a place for it, again, because defences are so organised, gives you an opportunity to manipulate the defence. But that particular day, um, you know, I've heard Gary tell the story a hundred times, but his, his great memory of that whole day was saying, because Jonah Lomu was on the opposition side, was that he says he was very much neglected from memory of history of sidestepping Jonah Lomu. He said the only problem was Jonah had the ball at the time when he was sidestepping it <laughs> because he, it, it, it was just a play that was was brought off. And, of course, Ireland were hammered. But it was also a time where the game was changing radically, like now. But Ireland were left behind at that stage. The Southern Hemisphere had really gone professional, semi-professional, much faster than the Northern Hemisphere. And and really that play, that tap move, was was an old-school move that called New Zealand napping. And uh, and I, I really don't want Gary to just be remembered for that particular play and sticking his fingers up to to the New Zealanders, he was so much more than that as an athlete and a man, and he gave so much more to the game. Just to finish on what Quinny says, Gary was older. When I got him, He was his last two years of his career. It was well, I'm only a few years older than him, and he had a family and things, and I treated Gary differently to the younger players for a whole lot of reasons. He was an older player. His body was old and all that. He would come into my office and ask for a favour, and when he would come in, he'd knock at the door and every time he walked in my office, he did an impression of me. So he'd put on his Australian accent, he'd use the words that I used and he'd say, G'day, it's Matty Williams here, I need to ask a favour. And he would spend the whole time in my office being <laughs> me. And you couldn't help but sit there and say, I'm the head coach, you know, I could say we do anything, and just laugh with him. He, he just had this incredible gift of, of laughing at himself and making everyone around him feel happy, as well as being... A high-quality athlete, having humour on the field, he was a great dad, a great partner. You know, and uh, we, you know, you, losing a game of rugby is not a tragedy. What happened yesterday to Gary and his family at fifty-five? Wow, that's that's just so sad. Such 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 a tragic day for Irish rugby.
0: Yeah, Irish rugby has lost a great character, and our condolences to his family as well. I think everyone in the Irish rugby world will be thinking of the Halpin family this weekend. So let's get into this weekend's games, Alan. So as we're recording, we have found out that the France-Scotland game is not going ahead. Now, there's no news as yet as to when it might be rescheduled. There is some talk that it won't be allowed by the French government to go ahead next week. We know next week, Alan, is a fallow week in the Six Nations. So theoretically, there is a slot on the calendar for it. They managed to get through the back end of last year's Six Nations. They got through the Nations Cup without a hiccup. I, I guess we should probably count our blessings that we've got this far without this happening. But here we are. We're down to game.
3: Yeah, it's a shame, really, and uh, but it's understandable at this stage that um, you know with another another uh, negative test in the French camp, the French camp, and um, even if the game went ahead, it's not ideal. And Matt will tell you as a coach, it's probably been a nightmare for the French team this week, not knowing who's available, lack of preparation, all that stuff. But. They showed in the Nations Cup they had they had plenty of, they have plenty of depth and they went to, to Twickenham and nearly beat England so I think everyone was hopeful that the game go ahead and it's it's understandable at this stage it's not I think the problem have they have now is um, is release the players from the English and French clubs and uh, how that's all going to work out I'm sure Glasgow and Edinburgh would re- re- release their players but the problem is the the Scottish and French players and all their different clubs so it's um, it's a tricky situation and it's a, it's a shame, but it's understandable that it's called off. I just can't understand how all the French players have got COVID and how none of the Irish players have. I think that's something that, um, that needs to be answered and explained because, uh, I think they were all given, uh, very, very strong, um, protocols and recommendations to adhere to before the six nations and France, the only team that have COVID, uh, players with COVID. So it's, it's, uh, there needs to be some sort of an explanation around that as to how it happened. Of course it can happen accidentally. It can happen going through the airport. It can happen in hotels, but surely they know where it happens. And there's lots of rumors bounding around on social media about, um, uh, what happened that, that Sunday night when they went back to Paris and stuff. So, um, whether there was, they were out and about. So look, it's, it's a shame that it's happened, but, um, I doubt if they got it in Ireland. I know Rafael Ibanez suggested maybe it might they might have got it in Ireland but or off any of the Irish players. Why haven't the Irish players got it? So it's it's a pity, but there needs to be some sort of clarity about where this happened and, and and some sort of trace to it because it is costly and it's 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 more look, as I said, we're thankful we have games and it's a pity this has happened, hopefully they get back on track. And maybe it's not a big surprise that it has happened. You know, we've been very lucky with the rugby so far. Um uh, last year, the lockdown and this this part of it. So it's a shame, but look, they'll have to try and find another weekend to play this game and finish it.
0: Yeah, let's hope they get it done sooner rather than later. And it isn't another case of the Six Nations going all the way through to the autumn without a decisive result. Let's look at the Ireland-Italy game, guys. Matt, we have the Ireland team, seven changes. Most of them are expected. The likes of Jonathan Sexton, James Ryan back. There's a start in the front row for Dave Kilcoyne and Ronan Kelleher, we've got Tyke Furlong starting in international for the first time in well over a year. Tyke Byrne is in the back row. And Jordan Larm has been brought into the back line as well, which is very interesting. On the face of it, it's the best Irish team, Matt, that has been picked for quite some time. On paper, it's a very good side. Mm-hmm. I guess you also have to look at our form yeah. and the fact that this game is not yeah. being played on paper.
2: I think there's Dave, you've hit a nail on the head. I really like this side. I, I, I feel for Rhys for, um, Ruddick misses out again, because he didn't play poorly against France. He was manful. He did his job. There's not even a spot in the 22 for him. I, and I like the idea they've given Young Baird a start on the bench and Conan comes in after being out for a long time. What I particularly like, and I know I, I don't want to steal Quinny's thunder, but that back five, Ryan, Henderson, Byrne, Connor, and Stander. I mean, that's a really balanced back five. Lots of power. lots of lot, A well-balanced back row. You've got Connors as the, as the fetcher, you know, the groundhog, the worker. Standard a great ball carrier. And Byrne's just been outstanding in all aspects of the game. Gives the line out another option with a, with a third jumper there. Sexton's, a, you know, the, the general, despite Johnny's age, I think he's still the best 10 we have by a considerable margin. Lama should have been there from the start for me. I'm a... I'm a Great admirer of Keith Earls. He's just not in great form, and that's not being disparaging. We all hit patches of bad form. Lama, I think, deserves his show. Lowe's on last chance saloon for me in his D. But even the bench now, you've got Porter, who has played exceptionally well. He has grabbed his opportunity with Furlong being out and improved. That bench now becomes much stronger. It looks a very healthy bench. Billy Burns, big call. I'd have Ross Burn there. Earls. You know, I said of what a, what, a, what a admirer I am, but I think there's some other younger guys we could have looked at. At this Italian game, uh, probably an opportunity missed, and I'm really looking forward to Casey getting his start. I think he's an exciting young player. Great, great, good selection. If we follow the same tactics we've been doing for the last two years, it's like uh, pouring champagne down the sink because if we play the same way, the same tactics, we'll get the same result. And i beat Italy. That's not the point because Italy couldn't tackle a fish supper.
0: Well, that's the key, isn't it, Alan? Because maybe bar Luke McGrath, it's the starting Leinster backline if they were to play a Heineken Champions Cup final tomorrow afternoon. And it is the sort of backline that Stuart Lancaster loves working with, loves getting his teeth into. Does it really matter who's been picked for Ireland if we go about our attacking play the same way as we did in the opening two games?
3: Um, it does matter, yeah, because I think they've, they've got to get it right, I think. Um, no, but they, the point they're...
0: being that if we're going out to kick the leather off the ball, as I said to Sinead earlier, does it really oh, yeah, matter yeah, who, yeah, who, who course, the personnel yeah. are?
3: Yeah, well, we kicked the ball 47 times against France, so you can. we don't need to be a rocket science to figure out that that's way too much for me. Um, I know conditions sometimes dictate we kick a lot. but And plus, and Matt knows this as a coach, and I always have this mentality, Every bad kick is a good kick when you're winning the game. Because, you know, it doesn't really matter. The opposition are chasing it, particularly in wet conditions. You know, if you're 12-6 up or 15-6 up, well, why not? Just let the opposition make mistakes. Thump it down the field, come up, tackle them, force them into touch, force the mistakes. And, you know, the, the mentality against France the last day, the conditions were bad and windy. But the weather actually cleared up a bit during the game. And I just thought... We overkicked. Um, you know, any, anything over 25 kicks is a lot for me. I think um, you look at Ireland's best performances back in 2018, I think the average 20, 25 kicks a game, because they held onto the ball. So a lot for long periods, their efficiency around the breakdown, their tempo, their intensity, and that's a ward on teams and we weren't siding teams open with brilliant rugby, but we were unbelievably productive uh protected the ball held onto it well. Of course you'd love I'd love to see some of that stuff with a bit of expansion and a little bit of freedom as well. Um and you know there's cohesion in that backline. These guys know themselves inside out. They're going to be playing a team that's not uh an England, a Wales, a Scotland, a France, uh, with respect to Italy. Now there's some very good players and, and competitive players. And you don't go to Rome and just think you're going to rack up 30 points or 40 points and it's going to be easy. These guys will make it very, very difficult for Ireland. They'll actually sense a real opportunity here and a chance here to go at Ireland here because confidence will be a bit low. They'll know that there's massive pressure on Ireland. And I always remember going to Rome and playing matches and it was all about, you know, you have to be pragmatic early on. You've got to be physical. You've got to win those collisions and play sensible rugby and get the scoreboard ticking over a little bit and be patient with the ball. Don't like just fire it around for the sake of it. Um, so you know, Ireland have to try and just add a little bit and get a little bit of confidence and a bit of flow to their attack. So to answer the question, yes, it's there's no point in picking them if we're going to kick the ball away. I I, I think it's different. You know, the conditions are different. Um, uh, and the opposition are different here, but I think there is more of a pressure to try and play and ask questions of the Italian defence and get them disorganised in attack.
0: Matt, my cat was in front of the media earlier in the week, and he said that he and his coaching staff and the players feel they're <laughs> in a good place and they're going in the right direction. And like maybe they just need a little more time for the fruits of my cat's labours to be a little more obvious to the uneducated eye. But so much of the build-up has been put on offloading or the lack of offloading in our game. Having watched back the Wales and France games, Matt, are you seeing situations and opportunities where an offload was on the cards, where one would have been possible so that guys are getting over the gain line and have at least one hand free and was there, if there was someone on their shoulder, the pass was there. Are we missing chances to offload? Dave, there's
2: one thing we're seeing from Across the globe, the response to rushing defenses and offload smashes rushing defense because by its very description you go through the line. Once you can get through the line, that rushing defense is at a disadvantage. So the teams that are winning games are the teams that are getting most line breaks through or offloads. So island bottom of line breaks, bottom of offloads, top of passes, top of tackles, top of collisions. So the problem we have. So, so to answer your first part, we, we have to bring this back to our, our game because it's, it's, the, it's the response to rushing defence. Okay, so we have to. Now, here's the problem. It has been systematically coached out of our players for many years. It is not in them anymore to do it. This is not – this is the, – the, the, the multi-phase game is dead. It's over. The game has moved on. We've got to think about it. France are dominating this competition – with the lowest passes, lowest collisions, lowest rucks, but they have the highest number of line breaks and the highest number of offloads. But their players at club level, at junior level, at under-20s level are coached to do it. Ireland, used that used to be Irish rugby. When I arrived in Irish rugby, I learnt a lot about the skill and art of offloading from Irish coaches and players. Now, those, and I became an admirer of it. And that is now back in New Zealand and Australia are now coaching their young players the same skills I saw being coached to you when I arrived in 1999. So Australia and New like, wow, Zealand are going, hang on a minute. So if you watch the New Zealand forwards in the super rugby that starts this weekend, watch their footwork before contact. Watch how they're getting into the space using their hands. We're just not doing that. And we're a long... We could, we could wish it and say it, but we're, we're years away from getting that back to our game. It's a major major error and a massive problem to winning games going forward.
0: So is this a long-term issue and a long-term fix, Alan? Even just last weekend, we saw an absolutely glorious try scored by Ulster, which I think had four offloads in the same phase of play from four different players, and it was brilliantly finished in the corner. So it's not like it's way beyond the, the, the capacity of these players to deliver those moments
3: um yeah i, I look at uh, the southern hemisphere it's probably more ingrained in in kids to, to to play like that the weather all that kind of stuff adds to that and um but i think we're we're quite robotic um a lot of the northern hemisphere rugby is quite robotic at times and and pragmatic and and but the statistics tell you you know what i mean if you kick the ball well and if you hold on to the ball and you wear down the opposition and that's it is a, a it's a mental approach as well. That's that's in Northern hemisphere rugby. And sometimes it's an X factor scenario as well, where you just the players that Matt is talking about there. And I'm sure you, I I'm not sure I maybe he'll agree, but like you, you look at some of the players that you can give the ball to and super rugby. They're just incredible athletes. They're X factor players. We don't have enough of them. Big, strong guys, backs that are over hundred kilos now can step and, that are like sprinters and all that kind of stuff. and um, So we, we, we look to, to be more pragmatic in our approach. And it is a thing that's coached into us uh, from a young age. It, it has been like that. Um, and then you, you, the argument is always there. When you look at Leinster, the way they play in the tempo and the, the expansion they have in their game, um, they're not throwing the ball around willy-nilly. They're just very, very yeah. good at their execution for the first, second, third phase. And then they just wear teams down and they get it to, you know, to the opposition, get this joint in defense and they score. There's a lot of tempo to their game. It isn't just throw the ball around. Um, we do see a lot of that in, in the attack in, 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 you know, even Australia and they've probably been architects of their own downfall over the years. They actually play brilliant rugby and they look to put loads of wit in it. And sometimes their forwards have been kind of, porous and not confrontational and that's where they've lost games. We want to see a mix. You can't have all of one and none of the other and, and vice versa. So I just think we're good at so many things. Our fitness levels are good, our conditioning, our, our attitudes, our techniques are really good. And that's probably the level that it does take time. And it's 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 not just with the, the national players, it's right down the board if we can become more used to the offloading stuff, and it can be very difficult because you play conditions, Dave, that are, you know, you start offloading the ball, you turn it over, it's it happens very easily. So, it's it's something that you'd love to see more of. Look at France's first try, Olivion, against Ireland. It came on the back of DuPont and offloads and um, three or four offloads and Irelanders at six or seven to try trying the corner. I know it's a defensive error in the end, but that's what you get we dominated possession and territory in that first half and they're the ones that go up the field and score the try you know so it's a mental thing and a mental approach and sometimes it's down to individuals when you have look at them in Dlende even just with monster he, he's he's a big strong physical guy but there's a little bit of footwork he looks for the pass. he doesn't want like he's very good at running out over guys if he has to but there's always a subtle little touch and an up uh, his mentality is always look for that offload or try and keep the ball alive. Um, so the approach is different, you know, and, and we do need to coach that more. It isn't just go out and tell the players, start doing this. We need to coach it all the way up. 100%. Um, and that's the, that's the problem we have.
2: Dave, can I just put in on, on Quinny's point there? If you go back to that French try, okay, if we, we focus on that French try. Because Alan's right, you've got to have a balance. You can't just say we're all going to offload and it's all going to be happy. That's not right. You need a bit of everything. But that play was beautifully designed. If you go back and look at it, they've got DuPont, the nine, standing at the front of the line out. They've got Jalabert, the 10, standing at at nine. So what happens, and that's because Ireland have Hemming standing as their as their back rower, supposedly out to chase. So what happens is they throw to the tail of the line out. Jalabert and DuPont just slide. So... so it comes down to DuPont, who's passed to Jalabert, who's already around Hemming. He hits Fiku, who's now running at Billy Burns, smashes Billy Burns and makes the Irish centers tackle him. What's happened? They have the game line and the Irish backs are out of position. That initial play allows for the next two offloads. That is brilliant thinking, brilliant set play game line. And it got what Quinney said, momentum. So the momentum opens up the possibility of the offloads. We are just not doing that. We had Keith Earls, one of our best footwork guys, get the ball off the nine on a scrum and run in to their 10, 12 and 13. We then kicked the ball to nobody and it's marked in the French 22. Our whole thinking and the joined up thinking from having great set plays to good going forward to offloading to go through them, then scoring a try going around. It's just the dots aren't joining up. And and I, I totally endorse what Quinny said. But we, as in Ireland, have to maximise what we're good at. We're never going to be England and bash the absolute bejesus out of teams. We've got to have a mix of both. And that's good decision-making as well. Good and, we thinking. Were,
3: and we were better at that in 2000. I, I Matt, couldn't we were remember. better at that in 2018. These the strike plays. So that that enables you to play. It gives Get get the ball into Gary Ringrose's hands earlier. Get it yes. into Henshaw's hands earlier. Henshaw's someone who wants to get the offload away. Our wingers don't get the ball with a chance to run one on one with their opposition winger with a bit of space to try and step them, fend them. A lot of the time, defenses are coming across. So it's it's multiple things. You can't attack unless your set piece is spot on. So there's certain parts of the Ireland game that are very good. I just think that's that's a transition. And look, every team wants to get better at attack. More tries you score, more guaranteed. You know, the more chances of winning the game. Um, a Northern Hemisphere rugby is a little bit different. You know, uh, look at Caleb Clark for the Blues in New Zealand. If you have a Caleb Clark on your team, well, you will bring him in off the wing or you will try and get the ball as quick as he can because he can run out over people. He can run past people. He can do everything um, like that. So um, it's down to personnel attitude and those first hits, as Matt was saying, you know, if you get over the game line, well, that's what you want to do. You want to try and get defenses disjointed. And um, so there's a good chance for Ireland this week. I think they're going to, they're not going to be under as much pressure as playing some the other teams, but they've got to be good at that stuff early in the game. i.e. set piece, breakdown, all that kind of stuff, and then build their attack and get a little bit of width then and get a bit of uh, go forward in their game. And, you know, if they get a couple of tries and, you know, they can take that away from the game. You, it's still going to be challenging, but, you know, realistically, they should be trying to win this game convincingly. If they want to put the first two games behind them and say, right, certain things didn't come off for us. We could have won those two games. Ireland could have been going for three in a row here, if small margins and a bit of smarter rugby. And, uh, you know, so they're now in a position where this is a potential banana skin. It always has been. And they've got to get more than a win out of this. They've got to, We've got to see more flow and attack to their game. They're capable of it. You said it at the start, man. This is an exciting team. It looks like a real, you know, team with energy, and I'm sure there'll be a massive determination that'll come with the players, and and hopefully they can execute that and and you know get a few positive tries for themselves. But there's no guarantees, and we're still question marks hanging over the team.
0: Finally on this game, Matt, before we just wrap things up at England-Wales, what are you looking for on Saturday? If we lose or play badly, we're going to be even further in the doldrums in terms of this the feeling around the team at the moment. If we win we'd say four tries and pick up a bonus point, but don't really show anything new that gives us real positivity heading to the Scotland and England games, we'll again feel like we've learnt nothing from it. So what is it you want to see coming out of Saturday's game?
2: Well, I think if we start with the end in mind a bonus point win is a minimum because that's what everyone else is doing. So if you don't get a bonus point win, you're actually behind your opposition. So we need that. But again, I think it's, for me, and I won't put words in Alan's mouth, for me, I, our, our line out and scrum is excellent. It's at the top end of all the statistics in the Six Nations. So we've got a good platform and that's that's your that's your foundation. If you haven't got that platform, you're finished, but we have. So let's see the plays off those set plays give us some attacking momentum, get us going forward. That will make it so much easier for us to go to, to the game line. Then we have to go through them before we go around them. We have to see the forwards bending the line or getting through the line. Just If we just think our only creative try was against Wales when Byrne, Busted through to Piric's tackle and offloaded to Josh Van der Fleur who was tackled for burn to pick and go afterwards. We've got to have that because we're trying to go... What we're trying to do now is just go round teams. And we all saw you guys, sir, on Saturday, the French team just slid across, put us on the sideline, made the tackles. In that last play of the game against France where we needed a penalty to win the game, we lost 15 metres with, with the ball. We had a line-out, five metres inside French half, When we turned the ball over, we were just near our our own 10-metre line about a minute and a half later. So there has to be some more creativity. Our kicking game has to Dave, there's got to be a lot of improvements. The thing is this Italian team can attack. They're scoring points against France and England. They're attacking. Their defence hasn't been good. That's the plus for Ireland. So if we can't get going forward against a team that is really, really poor defensively, we're in a bit of trouble. So there's a lot of boxes that need to be ticked on uh, on Saturday for us to have have real hope uh, at Murrayfield and back against England at, at home.
0: OK, well, let's move on to England-Wales, Alan. A couple of minutes left before we wrap things up. In terms of the team news, five changes for Wales. They've got the likes of Jonathan Davis back in their midfield. They've got... Uh, George North, who's become the youngest player ever to win 100 caps in the history of the of Rugby Union, which is quite an achievement. Josh Adams back on the wing as well. They've got Navidi in the back row. All of a sudden, having, in the eyes of many, Alan, maybe uh, been fortunate, to put it mildly, to be two from two, now they look like a proper well side personnel-wise. And if Wayne Pivak is making any semblance of progress with them, they could put it all together against England on Saturday, and this team that are well used to winning Grand Slams will be sixty percent towards winning another one.
3: Yeah, it's incredible uh, given what happened last year and and um, this, the where they finished last year. Obviously, they were Grand Slam champions two years ago, and uh, you're know, getting those two wins. Uh, they were fortunate probably against Ireland and for, probably more fortunate up in up in Murrayfield against Scotland. They've got a home game now, and. They're a team that have rattled England and unsettled England in recent years. And they've, they'll have a confidence and belief they can do that. I think we talk about the crowds at times and the effect of having no crowds. This is one game where the Welsh crowd just go ballistic in, in the Principality Stadium. And it does have an effect. It does have a rejuvenating effect for the Welsh players. It gets them up off the ground. The passion... The atmosphere it's incredible and and it it kind of lifts them over the line when they play England um but look it's a it's a very good English side they've made two changes Uh, Mark Wilson is back in Jamie George but it's a strong side that we still I I still feel they're underperforming um they're really poor against Scotland a lot of rustiness against Italy in, in in my opinion as well um so they're, they're not where they need to be maybe they'll be better after this game we've, we've spoken about the players being undercooked but we, this is a real opportunity for Wales, if they go 3 out of 3 here and, and win a triple crown against England, well it's an incredible turnaround from where they were last year and, and it's a very strong Welsh side who are as I said capable of, of unsettling England And we, you know, who knows where England are at they, I think they will get better and the no crowd will play a factor it's a hard game to call
0: Two changes for England, Matt. They've brought Jamie George back in at hooker and Mark Wilson is back in the back row. The Saracens boys now have two games under their belts, so you'd imagine they'll have been brought on a bit. England are still being stung by the criticism from outside of the camp. What are your thoughts overall in this game?
2: Look, I have to... mea culpa. I've got the Welsh call wrong the last two games. I think everybody
0: has. Uh,
2: Yeah, yeah. And, well, they say things happen in three, so which Englishman's going to get sent off? Um... (laughs) Uh, Look, I think we could say Ireland lost the game against Wales and Scotland lost the game against Wales. Uh, But this is a much better Welsh side. There is no two ways about that. This is a pretty impressive-looking side. Um, I was just thinking about England and Eddie Jones and having a look back on Eddie Jones' career. Two years out from a World Cup, Eddie's got a habit of flogging his sides. And I just wonder if he is really training them hard because... One of the things he wants out of his sides is come the World Cup to be the fittest side or or one of the fittest sides there. He certainly did that with Australia back in 2003. You've got to say England peaked in 2019 um, very, very well. They they looked superb in 2019. I wonder if he's putting them through a high-volume period. Now, we get no feedback from that. But I just, they just look flat now. I, I totally agree with Alan's comments. I made them on air as well. The Saracens boys are underdone, but they look like a tired side all the time. So that even gives more to the Welsh opportunity on uh, on Saturday. Um, to, uh, to, to tip against England would be very hard. But I agree with Alan. This is a really hard one to pick. This is this is if England can play as well as we know they can play, they can win it. But they just haven't been. And, and and Wales, like a good side, they're finding a way to win. But you just think if England keep 15 on the field, they've got a little bit too much, especially up front for that Welsh side. I said that about Scotland and I was wrong. So don't put any money on it. If anyone's listening, do not put any money on what I say because you'll do it. But uh, it, it, it's a really... it's You know what? It's a fascinating game. I, I, I don't know about Quinny. I, I love England-Scotland games because they're just so passionate on both sides. The English... Really can't cop being beaten by these underlings that they had, and they bashed them through the seventies and eighties. And the Welsh, they they're like us; they just have a joy in beating anything in a white jersey. So it's it's always a great day to watch.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a great afternoon of rugby. Ireland heading to Italy. Incidentally, the Italian team has literally just been named, as we're speaking, and it's an unchanged fifteen. So another chance to see that pair of halfbacks, Varney and Garbisi. There's under forty years between them combined and uh, maybe we'll be looking to see Montana Iona getting a little more hands on the ball as well from an Irish point of view. They'll be hoping that isn't the case. Matt, Alan, thanks really for taking the time to chat to us this afternoon.
3: Pleasure dive. Cheers there.
0: Thanks, guys. So you will see both Matt and Alan over the course of the weekend. There's a lot to look forward to, despite the fact that we will now not be with you on Sunday afternoon, because that Scotland-France game has been postponed, and we have yet to get a Confirmation as to when that game will be rescheduled. But join us Saturday afternoon. All of those games Ireland, Italy, and Wales, England. It's live at Virgin Media One. Our build up to Italy, Ireland, be Guilds at one o'clock. And Joe Malloy will, as usual, be in studio. He'll be joined by Matt Williams for the build up to those two games. Thanks for listening to the VMTV rugby pod for the Six Nations. We'll be back with you in a week's time. Enjoy the weekend's rugby.